Happy New Year and welcome back. My name is Alex Duvall. I'm the host of Royals Review Radio. I am joined, as always tonight, by Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, Happy New Year. Uh, happy happy holiday. New Year to you. Whatever it is that you choose. I see you've got a Kansas City Chiefs shirt on. Not a, not a great uh, day to be wearing that. <laughs> Um, hey, I think it's going to be time to get our Houston Texans gear out. So if you got as, as far as I'm concerned, this just means one extra game of Chiefs play this year. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing, you know, there's still I, I still anticipate them going all the way, winning everything, and that just means I get to watch them win one more time later. That's not that's not a bad uh, way to look at it. I did see someone, I think it was Bird Law expert on Twitter, said something about. Um, you know, if they put the Chiefs in that Monday night football game, he's going to have some questions about the officiating in that Cincinnati game. But, uh, yeah, one extra game of Patrick Mahomes is nothing to shake a stick at. That's always a it's always a good thing. I always my my wife doesn't let my kid. He's five months old. Watch TV. Makes sense. But every Sunday I give him about two minutes. Of Patrick Mahomes. I wait to that first drive. I bring him out. We watch Patrick Mahomes for that first drive. And he's not allowed to watch TV anymore. But he does get a little indoctrination every Sunday of the greatest <laughs> of all time. One I love Patrick it. Levon Mahomes the second. So um, anyway, uh, if you're listening for the first time tonight, for some reason, uh, thanks for tuning in. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Um, this will be our first, um, be the beginning of our first calendar year doing this show. So hopefully uh, with the Royals being a little more competitive, hopefully in 2022, we will be assuming baseball um, gets played. Yeah. Assuming well, yeah, I think we're, we'll get to that here in a minute. Don't let's, <laughs> let's one thing at a time here. Uh, we'll be here every week, Jeremy and I with, with guests periodically. So um, tune in uh, Royals review radio on Apple podcasts and Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, but thanks for being here. Um, so Jeremy, really quick. I do want to talk about um, really quickly. This wasn't on our topic list until like a few hours ago. Christian Cologne accepted a coaching position with the Royals in AA. You may remember Christian Cologne, he of the game-winning RBI in Game 5 of the 2015 World Series. Um, you know, I went back and I looked at Christian Cologne's fan graphs page because I was like, you know what? I was like, that is um, awesome that he's getting a, a, the opportunity to coach. You talking about swinging a limp noodle at the plate. <laughs> One career home run and 418 appearances, plate appearances. I mean, Nicky Lopez hits for more power than this. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> God almighty. So, I mean, he had – in 2014, he came up and in 50 play, 49 plate appearances, um, hit really well. And even in 2015, he played in 43 games, hit 290. Like, you, you had to be thinking as a Royals fan back then. And, and to be frank, I just remember him as always being a bust. I don't remember – very many positive things about Christian Cologne, except for the wild card game and except for game five of the 2015 World Series. He had a good um, debut, too. I remember yeah. he had two or three doubles, something like that. Yeah, so a good, nice two year run in Kansas City, and then his career was over. So um, once he hit that hit in game five of the World Series, it was over pretty much for Christian Cologne. Um, he's going to be in double A, like I said. And, and if you follow me over at Royals Farm Report, I made a comment today that. You know, it's, it's good timing to have him at double-A because a lot of the Royals' best infield prospects, not named Bobby Witt Jr., are going to be at double-A to start the season, presumably. You have Michael Massey, uh, second baseman, Nick Lofton, who is a jack-of-all-trades. 
um, Nate Eaton and Michael Garcia, the shortstop. You have a, a lot of really good infield prospects at double A this year. Michael Garcia actually reminds me a bit of Christian Cologne in the, you know, decent or Michael Garcia is probably a better, he is a better athlete, probably a bit better defender at shortstop, but um, good discipline, little to no power at the plate, makes a lot of contact. So, um, you know, a player that the Royals are going to be counting on the next few years, getting a guy like Cologne to go coach him at double A. Um, it says a lot about what the Royals think of their guys. You know, they, they're very loyal, even sometimes to a fault to their guys. Now they're bringing a guy they drafted in the first round. I think he was drafted fifth or top 10 overall for sure um, to come be the Royal shortstop of the future that never worked out, obviously. Um, but here we are, Christian Cologne, a few years, six years, seven years after the game winning hit in the World Series, will be a coach for the Royals down at double a this isn't um so dissimilar as what they did with tony pena jr who is now with the big league club so um jeremy any thoughts on christian cologne really quick um like you said it's it's an extension of how the royals uh always treat their players well um regardless of really whether they contributed to the team or not right chris gets uh i got a couple of jobs with the royals at various points before moving on to better jobs elsewhere uh, and I like it. Um, you know, these guys have, have played and, and at the major league levels, they can offer some insight as far as that goes. They can offer some insight as far as like, if you don't have all the tools or even if you do have all the tools, this is how hard you have to work. They can tell you, and, and they have some authority because they've been there, um, and maybe they didn't have success, but by golly, they made it. And it's hard enough to make it. Uh, just ask uh, Johnny Giovatella or Brett Eidner or some of these other guys. And we're like, oh, they look so good in the minor leagues. and They just can't quite make it to the major leagues. You know, and then, of course, the, both of those guys did or I couldn't name them. But, uh, you know, it just happens all the time. And, um, you know, with so many coaches down there, I don't really worry about necessarily like, is Christian Cologne a good coach? Like, is he going to be a great hitting coach or a great fielding coach? Uh, I don't think that's strictly necessary because there's going to be other coaches there that should be like one of these coaches will speak to you in the minor league level, I think. So just having a variety of coaches and making sure that these guys are taken care of. Um, in their post-playing career is just a really nice thing to see. Um, you know, I'm always very pro-player, and uh, and I just like to see them get taken care of. So I, I wholeheartedly approve of moves like this. Well, and Dayton Moore does that in ways that, that extend beyond, like, a job. So with Gerard Dyson bringing him back solely, and, and people will argue with me, well, Gerard Dyson provided that. No. Gerard Dyson was brought back solely to get him to his 10 year mark of experience and, and service time um, because that comes with full retirement pension. And I think Wade Davis was the same way. I wouldn't be surprised if Greg Holland was back next year because Greg Holland is only a few months away from his 10 years of service time and the full pension that comes with that. So we've seen Dayton Moore take care of his guys in ways that extend beyond giving them a job when they, when they're done playing. So, um, like you said, it's good to see it's, 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 it's relieving in a world where we have some of the world's best reporters being fired for being, <laughs> in capacity. Um, and really quick, we'll get to that in a second, but you, you mentioned Chris gets, and it made me think of, I saw at Eric Hosmer's wedding, 
um, there were, so Chris Young was there. Chris Young is now the general manager of the Rangers. Chris Getz is an assistant GM. Is he still in Chicago? I don't remember. He was last time I heard. Yeah. I can't remember where he is now, but Chris Getz was like in an assistant general manager's role, I believe. Um, And I was wondering, I was like, is this tampering? Like, is this, is this even legal during the lockout? Like, because you hear about ridiculous stuff all the time. Like when Michael Porter Jr. uh, came to Mizzou, they also hired, okay. So it was Michael Porter Jr. And then Jonte, their brothers, right? Mm -hmm. They hired their father as a coach. And I was reading one time something ridiculous, like when they go to family dinners, mom has to pay or something because dad wasn't allowed to buy the player's dinner or whatever. (laughs) I'm maybe getting that wrong, but you understand the premise is there were NCAA violations that went with like with dinners and stuff. And so I was, you know, not that I, I don't care. I don't, I hope, I I think Chris Young and Chris Getz should be allowed to hang out with their Cosmo whenever they want to. But I saw the pictures and I went, that's kind of funny. Like if, if we hear anything about this, I'm going to throw a fit because it would be ridiculous guys getting married. But I, I think that the baseball culture is such that that's very unlikely to be considered. Like everyone knows that they played together and I, I can't imagine anyone actually like, I can't even hurt. I, I almost can't even believe like a conspiracy theorist could come up with that one. I'm a little bit worried about you right now, honestly. So uh, we've seen, we've seen stuff like this before where Matthew Stafford and um, Sean McVay, the Rams head coach and, and starting quarterback just happened to be on vacation at the same resort in Mexico when the trade went down that took Matthew Stafford from Detroit to the Rams, like <laughs> tell me there's not tampering going on here. Come on. They just happened to be on at the that, same resort. was a different animal though. No, no. I was like, no, I don't buy it. Also, but, I, I'm not convinced Eric Hosmer is like this super valuable piece that anyone particularly wants right now. I just Googled it. And Chris Getz, by the way, is the director of player development for the White Sox. So go. There you go. That would that would be kind of out of his wheelhouse anyway. That's that's two former Royals that are in really big roles. Chris Getz is director of player development, and Everett Tiford, uh, the director of pitching development over there. He's a guy. I wish I wish they would fire Kel Eldred right now and hire Everett Tiford. I don't know that Everett Tiford would accept a big league pitching coach position. He's in the front office. He may not want to be in the dugout. I'm just saying, if I had if I could wave the magic wand and press the magic button, I would totally do it. Um, we, I would we, get Brian Bannister. Okay. I, yeah, I would I would love that as well. There's even a guy in the Royals. Um, well, last I knew he was there. I can't remember what they were calling his title, but Malcolm Culver was supposed to be their guy bridging the analytics to the coaching staff and pitching development. I, I don't know what Malcolm Culver's doing now, but Malcolm Culver's another guy I'd like to see get a shot as a big league pitching coach. Uh, some of the things I've heard from him. Um, but anyway, I mentioned really quickly the firing of Ken Rosenthal. Um, the s- baseball news right now is so slow that what we're boiled down to is we're getting ready to talk about a, ba- a national baseball re- reporter being fired. I think of baseball reporting. I think, and I think, I think this is big enough news that it would be a big deal anyway. Okay. So I don't think so it's, it, I also think it's a huge tactical error on MLB's part to do it now. For yeah. a variety of reasons. Well, because there's no other news, right? Exactly. 
when I think of baseball reporters, I think of the big four. My the, the top four guys that I think of off the top of my head are Buster Olney at ESPN, Jeff Passan at ESPN, Jason Stark. Where is he right now? I don't remember. The Athletic, I think, right now. Okay, and then Ken Rosenthal, who's also at The Athletic. If you want to throw in, um, like, Kylie McDaniel does a lot of prospect stuff at ESPN. Um, Eric Long and hanging at Fangraphs, also prospect-based. Um, I'm sure I'm missing somebody else. Andy McCullough does a lot of national baseball stuff now. But there are, you know, a, a handful of guys that carry the freight in terms of national – baseball talk and Ken Rosenthal might be the best like Jeff Passan might be my favorite writer but Ken Rosenthal as far as his appearances on TV the writing he does there might not be a more influential baseball media member than he is extremely popular and he's extremely versatile he is everywhere writing video he's a good dude yeah Jeff Passan I love Jeff Passan but he is a little edgy I can see where some people might not like Jeff Passan there is nothing to not like about Ken Rosenthal nothing and I didn't even see the comments that he made I it was in an article that he wrote at the athletic that I have not read um where he was been a hot minute since I read it it was back in 2020 yeah for goodness sakes right and he was being critical of um uh, Rob Manfred, the Major League Baseball commissioner, and they he hadn't been on MLB Network in a while, and so they fired him for being critical of the commissioner. I don't understand how baseball doesn't take a hit from this. Now, I don't think it will, honestly, but how, how have we gotten to a point in, I don't want to say in society, because I don't think it's like societal, but like we're going to let them get away with this. Like as a baseball fan, like I kind of want to strike up the, the pitchforks and, 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 and make a statement about this. Like, I, what am I going to do? But, you know, it, it frustrates me. We're going to let this tyrant get away with firing someone for being critical of him. And he's not going to have any repercussions. MLB is locked out right now solely because of Rob Manfred and the owners. And nothing's going to happen about it. And it's so frustrating. Um, but you know, I think Ken Rosenthal will be fine. He does work at Fox, he does work at the Athletic. But man, this sucks. Ken Rosenthal is the best. And to fire him for being That's... critical, it shows you how soft Rob Manfred is. And I mean, he is a you know what? He is a total five-letter <laughs> word that rhymes with snitch. He's he's the worst. Um, and I, I don't know how he continues to get away with being maybe the worst commissioner in the history of the sport. Well, so there's there I have a few thoughts about that rant. Let me see if I can organize them a little bit here. So the first thing is that the one thing that kind of is going to let MLB get away with this, I think, for the av- is that the average fan knows Ken Rosenthal, but they don't know Ken Rosenthal is in, is an MLB employee, right? They know they just know do I see Ken Rosenthal somewhere? And he's still going to be writing at the Athletic like you said. He's still going to be showing up on Fox. So they're still going to see Ken Rosenthal associated with baseball. So they're not they're not going to put together that MLB fired Ken Rosenthal, the average fan. But the people who uh the people who are paying attention, who who care about this kind of thing, i.e. us, per- probably the kind of people who would listen to this podcast aren't are gonna know exactly what you're talking about that rob manford uh, manford has just shown himself if there was any doubt 
based on how these negotiations, these CBA negotiations have been gone, have gone so far. If there was any doubt about that, Rob Manfred has just shown that he is, he is a baby child. He is, he's a small man who, who will not suffer any dissent, any criticism his way or the highway. And I think the reason he gets away with it is because, I mean, he, he kind of, you said he's a tyrant. He kind of is. Uh, he's he's in a position that's. I mean, he's not. I, I think he serves because uh, uh, the owners let him, and the owners are profiting. So the owners have no reason to get rid of him yet. Uh, if that changes, if they stop profiting, if these negotiations, CBA stuff, backfires in a really big way, that could change. But until he stops making the owners money, they're not going to care what he does. And what he's been doing has been very effective for them. Um, he just says things that aren't true, and and he just keeps saying them. And where have I heard that before? Anyway, um, and you, you you can just argue with him all you want. It just doesn't it doesn't fix anything. And he's in the position of ultimate power. There is no one above him to to tell him no, you can't do that. So he just keeps doing it. And this isn't like, uh, you know, one of my, my fantasy books that I like to read where some hero will rise up out of the ashes and challenge him to a sword duel and defeat him and, and free baseball from his reign of tyranny. It's not going to happen. So <clears throat> we're just kind of stuck with this until he either gets bored with it or that he he costs the owners too much money and they decide they'd rather go some other direction which again i you know just because they go some other direction doesn't even mean that we'd get a better commissioner it just would be someone who isn't rob manfred this is something i don't understand with like i don't i'm not a huge nba follower um like, I don't mind watching the games. I just don't follow – I got too much other crap I'm doing. I don't follow the NBA much. I'm under the impression that NBA fans love Adam Silver, They're the commissioner okay. of the NBA. I don't understand and, – and by the way, the NBA has become so popular so fast. Now, I know they got into <clears> – <throat> with some groups of America, some political hot water. But as far as I can tell – and I'm a school teacher, so I'm around teenagers all the time. They talk about the NBA and watch the NBA on their phones more than any other sport bar none. It's not even close. I can't tell you how many kids watch Major League Baseball. It's not many. I can't tell you how many kids watch the NFL, but it's not as many as the NBA. They are always watching NBA highlights and these basketball clips because they've done a great job of marketing their brand. I don't understand how Major League Baseball and its owners can watch that happen and go, you know what? Our commissioner sucks. He's not doing any of this. Now, I'm not even saying that necessarily what the NBA is doing is right in the long term, but I know the kids are watching. I know the kids are invested. I know the kids are interested. I know they love watching the highlights. So at what point as a Major League Baseball owner do you look at that and go, hey, Adam Silver is clearly doing something right in terms of getting the kids involved in turn in theory they'll become adults and still be big fans of the game and spend their money and major league baseball is not doing that and if you're i I don't get it i don't get how manfred can be popular among the owners because the owners aren't dumb like they clearly 
mean, they're all billionaires. They, they didn't get to be billionaires by being dumb and bad businessmen. So how could these guys who clearly have some business sense be so dumb with a commissioner <laughs> who is killing the brand? He is killing it. So just to back up your point about the popularity of the NBA, um, I wrote an article recently. I don't remember how long ago. Where I was kind of looking at like whether MLB how it, whether MLB was dying or what it needed to do or what was going on there. And I found that according to polling, the NBA was more popular than the MLB and has been for a few years. Um, so so I, I've known I've known personally that MLB was not as popular as the NFL. Um, that was just obvious to me, but I was a little bit shocked to discover that NBA wasn't just catching up. It had already passed MLB. Um, so yeah, that you'd think that should be a major red flag for the MLB owners and they didn't earn their billions by being stupid. So your question is a very interesting, important question. And I don't have an answer. The only thing I can come up with is that Sometimes when you get to be a certain age, you kind of get stuck in your ways and you go, well, this way worked 30, 40 years ago when I was making my billions of dollars, it should continue to work. And, and if you're not adjusting and it works for the people who are, you know, your age, sure. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily reach to the younger crowd. And I think that might be what's plaguing MLB right now is that they're, they're first blinded by their short-term profits because they've seen the short-term profits are still going bonkers, bananas, whatever. Uh, but the, the, they may just be, they may, it may be a combination of their, they see the short-term profits and uh, and they may not be concerned about the long-term profits because let's let's be real; these owners are all pretty old. Long-term is not a huge factor for them, and then they may just be stuck in their ways, where they think this is fine. I mean, obviously, I'm still profiting, so why should I change? It's like, well, and it's funny because I always say they, that capitalism—you always want to profit the most. You don't just want to make a profit; you want to profit the most. And and it's silly to look at these guys and think that they may be going. Oh well, my profits are good. Why would I change my ways? But people are weird, man. Which is why it's refreshing in Kansas City to have a guy like Dayton Moore, who, mm-hmm. like, I, and and you and you mentioned like the idea of capitalism, like, well, the idea of a business, like, what it, fundamentally, in order to sell something. And I was thinking about this with Apple the other day. So I'd never had AirPods before. Long story, real quick. My I never okay. had AirPods before. For Christmas, my wife got me. Um, a set of AirPods, and I was like, "Man, this is these are these are awesome." I've I've never had them. I never really, you know, thought that I wanted them. And she's like, "You you have to try them." So she got me some for Christmas. They're outstanding. I went to plug in the charging cable to my brick, and the brick they changed them. So you know how for a while they changed the USB part that goes into the phone into the AirPods. Now they've changed the brick end of it. So what a business is supposed to be is selling a product that customers need and you're profiting off of the work you're doing to provide a service now you can profit as much as you like but the idea is you're providing a service you're providing something to a consumer and then profiting off of the work that you've done to provide that service apple by changing their wires by changing the chargers and the bricks and all this stuff is not providing you with a service they are literally trying to grab money out of your pocket 
by all means necessary. And they do it all the time. Now, they provide one of the greatest physical services in the world, which has become the iPhone. I was reading something one time. It was talking about the boom of the iPhone. And they and you know Apple realized very quickly people weren't buying smartphones. They were buying small computers, right? The ability to have what the iPhone and other smartphones provide in your pocket is something that has changed the world fundamentally overnight. So they are providing you with a service that clearly nobody else could figure out for a long time. But now they've gotten to a point where they're grabbing money out of your pockets in order for you to continue to use that service that they provide. Well, Major League Baseball, it feels like, has gotten away from trying to provide you with the best service possible and just trying to take money out of your pockets while providing you with the same service they've been providing you. They haven't tried to make the game better. They haven't had tried to make the game more fun or more appealing or more entertaining. Rob Manfred is the owner's minion, literally trying to take more money out of your pockets while serving you up the same game you've been watching forever. Now, I'm not or a worse like, game. Yeah. And and I and I don't I'm not even on the side of like they need to change the game to seven innings and have rules about the relievers. And I think the game itself is fine, but it's the promoting the young players like if you put a picture of lebron james in front of any teenage kid they all know exactly who it is mike trout in a lot of ways being a different game but he is the superstar that lebron was in the nba nobody's gonna know who mike trout is and it's like how do you not market your best players and people always go to the argument well mike trout doesn't want to be marketed he's he's quiet it's like you can market him on his likeness or because he's a major league baseball player without having to like, you know, go, go over the top. Like if he doesn't want to do the Baker Mayfield commercials, fine, but man, he's, he is the best player maybe ever. And kids don't, wouldn't even recognize him. Like Mickey Mantle would have been a superstar in his day. And now Mike Trout is hardly recognizable. Do do people think that all of the NFL promotion that happens around Patrick Mahomes happens because Patrick Mahomes wants it. I mean, Patrick Mahomes clearly is is happy to do promotion. He wouldn't be in a million different commercials if he wasn't. But the NFL promotion, I don't know how much he gets paid from that. I can't imagine it's all that much because they own the rights to the film and everything, to the games. Uh, a lot of that promotion is because the NFL says this guy is important to our league. He's dynamic. He's interesting. We're going to promote our league by using his image and MLB sits there and says, well, uh, you know, Mike Trout could promote himself if he wanted to. It's like, no, no, you guys can promote him. And, and it's like, well, why, why is Patrick Mahomes doing a million commercials and Mike Trout is doing none. And the answer is to a degree because Patrick Mahomes wants to, and Mike Trout probably doesn't, but it's also that in the NFL doesn't, a terrific job of not just putting Mahomes in their commercials, but also making sure that he plays in the primetime matchups. The, the Chiefs are playing Saturday afternoon this week. Why? Is it because the Broncos are a compelling opponent? No, it's because Patrick Mahomes. That's, that's 90% of the reason, at least. And so they put him in that primetime matchup and they say, everyone can see him. And when they see him, they think better of our sport. So if they did the same thing for Mike Trout 
or for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or for Fernando Tatis Jr. or whoever else, Shohei Otani is another great one for the for the Angels. Then they could they could build their own brand by marketing their stars, but they they don't seem interested in it. And this is another thing that the NFL is built in such a way that the good players are on teams that are trying to compete. If you're, if you're a good player, you're not going to be on a bad team. And MLB is, is in such a way where Shohei Otani and Mike Trout might be the only two good players on the angels. And that's not enough. The team's not good. And there's, and this is where I start whining and complaining and whatever else uh, that the MLB needs to, to look at the whole tanking thing and they need to fix it. And I don't think you fix that by banning tanking or by doing weird things to the draft order. I think you have to do it with, uh, with a, a, a revenue floor and a revenue cap, uh, a salary cap and a salary floor. But that, that's kind of beside the point. The point is that not all of the teams are trying. Mo- I, maybe not most, but a significant number of teams are not trying. I think every year, and we can, there's the Jason Stark, I think, does the thing where he goes, oh, look at how many few teams have made the Super Bowl and how many teams have made the World Series. And that's great. But every year in the NFL, you can go into it thinking, my team might have a chance. My team might have a chance. And you go into the MLB and, and like, I would say at least 10 teams, probably. That might be a little exaggerated, but I think 10 teams could say, yeah, my team doesn't have a chance. I don't think it's exaggerated yeah. at all. It's, it's at least 10 teams. I mean, so if you go into the season, you start the season and you already know your, your team's not going to have a chance. Then, then what are you doing here? I, I am a diehard Royals fan. I mean, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't a huge Royals fan. Right. So, the fact of the matter is that I don't watch the majority of the games right now. I check the box scores. I read about the Royals. I read what happens on Royals Review, Royals Farm Report, other places. But I, I don't watch the games. Uh, I don't watch most of the games because they're not interesting. What's the point? I'm going to see the same. They're going to see them lose another one. And it's going to be completely uninteresting because the team isn't competitive. And it's even worse if you look at other teams. Like, why would you watch a Marlins game? Why would you watch a Reds game this year? They were so close last year. And then they just, they're, they're, they're cutting guys like uh, uh, Wade Miley, who was their best starter. They're like, yeah, we don't want to pay him $10 million. You don't want to pay your best starter $10 million. That's what you just told me. And... And why should I watch? So that's the other thing that they need to do is they need to make it so because you can't you can't mark you can't put uh, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani on everyone's TV in primetime every night if the team around them is awful because it's not going to be any, it's still not going to be any fun to watch to watch these superstars do superstar amazing things if the team sucks and so they got to they got to fix both of those things they've got to make the teams. They've got to make fewer teams stop trying. So more team, they've got to make more teams try. And then they've got to realize that by marketing them, by using their players to market themselves, AKA marketing the players, they're, they're helping themselves, not just the players. And, you know, their whole move with 
the starting the lockout and then removing all the images of the players and all the stories about the players uh, pretty much shows that they don't think that way. The the best example I can think of in, in my realm of minor league and prospect, the, that world is the draft is the only way to watch the draft is to watch on MLB network. Well, the only way to get MLB network is if you pay for the, the bonus cable package, like it's not even in a generic cable package. Like, if you're really trying to grow your game, put that thing on ESPN. Like, get e- it's the only thing going on in July. Get ESPN to put the draft on with the College World Series on the biggest sports network in the world. And Major League Baseball is like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have it on ours. You want to watch the draft? You got to buy our package. And, and we're gonna like, hold it I'm like gonna in the middle so- of baseball games, like normal baseball game time, right. so that you're completely checked out of it. Well, this year they did a better baseball. job. They put it during the All Star deal, and so it was the on thing. the yeah, and so it was a that was a little better. But it's like, you know, it's like nobody's paying twelve extra bucks a month just to watch the draft. Like, put it like get it on ESPN for a few years, invest. Take whatever financial hit you're going to take for five years, get more people interested in the draft, and then bring it back. Like the idea of investing somehow escapes um, the, this, the I, commissioner of baseball. And it just this, this just keeps going out. back to the, the problem that I keep having with baseball. Everything seems geared towards short term. Everything seems geared towards short term. And except for the weird like overvaluation like the change in valuation of prospects that's happened but even that makes sense as short term when you see that they realize that oh if i don't trade any of my prospects i can promote them and pay them league minimum salary for however long instead of paying the veterans you know like three or four million i pay these guys half a million um but that's this is what really worries me about baseball and everyone's like oh baseball's not dying it's not going anywhere and i'm like but they keep making short-term decisions and if you consistently constantly only make short-term decisions you're eventually going to run out of long-term yeah Uh, and and i am somewhere in the middle i'm you know i don't think baseball will die i think it's sometimes it's a little over exaggerated but it is it is problematic i mean i if you walk around a high school in most parts of the country I would guarantee you, and you, if you just had pictures of the most famous baseball players and of like all-star level, but not the best NBA players, they'll know kids will know the NBA players more than the MLB players. And and, and a lot of that, in my opinion, is the product is, is a product of the the poor job Ron Ma- Rob Manfred has done as commissioner. We're gonna take a little advertisement break really quick. Speaking of trying to grab money. <laughs> um, the nice thing about our ad breaks is you hit the little 30 second fast forward button on your podcast. You can jump the advertisement and be right on the other side of this. So we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back uh, talking about the lockout and what to expect when the lockout ends. All right, we are back. Um, Jeremy, I want to talk about the lockout because maybe the worst thing that major league baseball owners have done to themselves is in a trying time where popularity is fading where you suffered through a COVID year and didn't play a full season, didn't have a minor league season is now they've locked out the players and we haven't had a single bit of baseball news other than Ken Rosenthal being fired in months now. <laughs> um, and so Which means that's the only thing anybody has to talk about for the next two weeks, right? Is the bad stuff. And so 
you know, I was just kind of thinking, you know, what can we expect when the lockout ends? And I was trying to think back to the the most recent lockout that we had. And what what year was that? 2000, was that 11? I don't even remember. I just it was remember. A short lockout, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a short lockout. We were back by spring training, but it was like all those free agents signed. Um, there's there's another wave of free agency where, where guys were signing like the first week of spring training. And really the, the point I wanted to get to was um, what can we expect from Major League Baseball when the lockout ends? Because you think of um, who is the best available prospect, right? Or best available free agent that hasn't signed yet. Is it Trevor Story signed, didn't he? In Seattle? I don't think so. No, he didn't sign. Carlos Correa is still out there. Okay, let's use Correa. That's a better example. I thought not story sign in Seattle. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, let's let's use Correa. Carlos Correa is the prize of the free agent classes here. Carlos sure. Correa is still a free agent. What happens if it's March 1st when the lockout ends? Because technically, Carlos Correa is not allowed to have communication with any of these teams right now. Technically, so. Let's say he's really not. Let's say Carlos Correa really has no conversations with these teams right now. He's going to come back on March 1st, and the expectation is he's going to be able to sign, jump into camp, and be ready for opening day? I don't know if I'd buy that. I don't think spring training needs to last as long as it does. Um, I think these guys could probably get ready faster than that. Uh one thing I'm thinking if I'm Carlos Correa is on March 1st, I am not signing the first deal I see, right? I'm going to say, okay, y'all are desperate now. I'm still out here. <laughs> you you haven't had this whole offseason. You, you, you've frittered away the whole offseason on your lockout. Let's, uh, let's see what these offers are. And I would wait till I got an offer I was really comfortable with. Um, and that's Carlos Correa who can expect to get – really good offer um some of these other guys who are you know lower levels then i would expect them to sign a lot faster uh but yeah i kind of think if i'm carlos correa i'm holding out for a good deal which means he's not jumping immediately into spring training um he's probably going to start halfway through spring training at the earliest and yeah he's you're probably looking at him you know maybe missing a week maybe two, uh, depending on how long it takes him to sign uh, to extend his spring training while he finishes getting ready. And I, you know, if, if I'm an MLB team, I don't consider that considering you're probably giving him a very long-term deal anyway, that's probably not like a missing week here or there is not a thing that you're going to be overly concerned about, but for the fans, yeah, Carlos Correa, I, I wouldn't expect to see him on opening day necessarily. So let's think about a free agent like, um, oh, Kenley Jansen, who Kenley Jansen's probably going to sign a deal with a competitive a team that is trying to compete for the playoffs this year because he's not old, but he's getting older. He's got some experience on his arm. Um, you, you know, probably a two, three-year deal, three-year deal with a team that wants to be competitive right now to be their closer. Kenley Jansen, you know, misses two weeks, doesn't close two games. Those start to add up towards the end of the season. Um, you know, it, it's guys like that and, and guys like, let's say, Jake Diekman, for example, who is probably looking at a one-year deal. 
Now those guys, I do think sign faster. Yeah, I and, think. And, but I think they see a deal and they go, "There's my deal. I'm go- I'm I'm signing because I got to get paid." And it's these guys who are going to get the brunt of the the effects of the lockout mm-hmm. because they're not going to have time to jump into a normal spring training and get going. I'm also, as as it relates to the Royals, a little concerned with the spring training affecting the timing of a Bobby Witt Jr. MJ Melendez and Nick Prado arrival because you think about like a normal spring training for those guys. Now, Bobby Wood Jr. isn't totally affected by this because Bobby Wood Jr. is not on the 40 man roster. Let's pretend he was. Let's pretend he's a part of the plan with Prado Melendez. Normally, they get down there. Those three probably report around the time pitchers and catchers report. They've got a week ahead of time. Then they have all of spring training to prove they can either be on the roster or not. This lockout, I'm afraid is going to prohibit these guys from being on the opening day roster, which in turn gains their service time, which in turn brings all the excuses. Maybe they get off to a slow start. We don't see them until June, July. Like You can see a very reasonable path to some, I don't want to say bad things happening, but some less than ideal circumstances where we don't have Bobby Witt Jr. or MJ Melendez or Nick Prado on the opening day roster. Because if, of a lockout shortened spring training. If I was the Royals in that situation, um, I would really focus on getting guys like that that are on the roster bubble, especially like top prospects on the roster bubble. Um, lots and lots of playing time. In, I mean, regardless really of when spring training gets gets going, if it, even if it starts normally, to me, those guys got to play a ton early on because I want to know, like, I want to know very early, am I justified in giving them more playing time and letting them really compete for roster spot? Or do they still look like they have some stuff they need to work on? And I can kind of slow play them a little bit and focus on my other options. Um, so, yeah, I could see it hurting them, especially if, for example, uh, you know, one of uh, a Bobby Witt Jr. or a Nick Prado um, has a really slow start and it's a short spring training. There's no time to come out of your slump uh, before it's too late and you got to go down to the minors. Um, as far as gaming service time goes, again, this is a that's a big deal uh, as far as the current CBA negotiations. So we don't we don't even know at this point what service time is going to look like when baseball comes back. So I'm, I'm not going to look too far forward on that and, and worry about that necessarily because it, it could be an entirely moot point by the time baseball comes back. I was looking at the spring training schedule. The Royals are scheduled to be at home for their first three games, February 26, 27, 28. If you have tickets to those games and you're listening to this, I would not plan on being there. Um, I won't say that they won't happen. I won't say that it's not going to be ready to roll. But if it's something you're worried about with, you know, if they don't play and you can't get your money back, that's the whole reason you're going to Arizona. Like, personally, when baseball season starts, high school baseball season, I can't leave. I'm, I'm in for the spring. And I so, you know, I'll never be going to opening day. The only weekend, the only real baseball games I can go to or on Sunday afternoons at the K and, you know, every year I try to sneak away and go to opening weekend of spring training because that Saturday and Sunday 
is the Saturday, Sunday before our tryout starts. So if I can get out of town on that Friday, watch a couple spring training games and come back for tryouts, I can do that. Lockout's going to prevent me from doing that. I didn't schedule my trip this year. And if you're listening to this, I wouldn't either because I think there's a really good chance that first entire week is canceled. And if I was a betting man, I would say probably March 5th, that Saturday, or maybe the 4th, um, looking at the first day of games. But if it's not until March 6th, 7th, 8th, as we get into that second week of March, that wouldn't surprise me either. And then once you get there, you're kind of talking about, do they delay, you know, big league games three, four days a week? Um, and then you start shifting the whole schedule around. So I do think the one thing that, that sits well with me, and, and Max brought it up, you know, several times, is there has never been a Major League Baseball game missed due to a lockout. So I don't think we're going to miss games. I think they're going to be fine. They they may have to move opening day around, but I doubt it. Um, I'm spring. I'm not prepared to, to, and maybe this is me being too much of an optimist, but I'm not prepared to say anything's being lost until I was going to say, until we get to January, I guess we're in January um, (laughs) until we get to later in January, maybe towards the end of January. And we still haven't heard any news because we were all uh, I think we were all pretty much in agreement that once the lockout started nothing was gonna happen uh, for December and and I know I know we've talked about or at least I've talked about that um, or I, I read this idea and I agree with it and I have talked about it that the that negotiations really start happening when people start losing money. And right now, nobody's losing anything. MLB, no, nobody's losing anything obvious or tangible right now. Um, so it may not be till spring training hits that that MLB starts going, "Oh no, we're losing money," and the player or the players start going, "Oh no, we're losing money." Um, but it it if there's any foresight at all. Uh, the negotiations should start up again soon because uh, the two sides are very far apart. I think we got that much out of the negotiations that happened before the lockout. And so it's even once the negotiations start, I expect it to take a little while before they get anything close to a compromise set up. Um, And and so I, I would, if I was MLB, I would be looking at negotiating soon. But if I was MLB, I wouldn't have negotiated the way that they negotiated before the lockout. So clearly, we cannot use my negotiation tactics as, uh, as kind of a forecaster for what MLB might do. Yeah, I, I, I heard. Um, I wanted to say it was Manfred, but maybe. Maybe that's not who said it, but somebody on, on baseball's side of this was saying that, you know, the they were steadfast in their um, service time rules because that's how teams built their rosters and keep their players and avoided free agency or something like that. And it sounded like that was going to be a big hang-up is Major League Baseball is not going to let go of their six years of service time before free agency and that's clearly something the players are going to want. It does make me wonder what the players could leverage and get in exchange for, let's say they just let Major League Baseball keep service time rules. Can 
you know, the, the players, can they get something big, something else that they want? Uh, maybe it's a year earlier of arbitration. Okay, you keep your six years, but year three is going to be arbitration. We're going to have four years of arbitration before free agency or something. Can they, can they, can they achieve oh, something for, for the minor leaguers? I don't, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what the players want. I know last time they were kind of criticized for being silly about their, their asking price. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, that, I, that's I the big question is, is what, it, because this is, this is the sticking point. Um, and I, pardon me because I don't have the numbers right in front of me right now, but I know I was reading about how um, MLB is leaning on the rookie deal players more than they ever have before. Like they made up guys on their rookie deals made up more than half of the rosters last year, which is a lot. Um, and, and so basically I guess this is what MLB is determined is that these, these low level guys, they can just cut them when they reach arbitration or when their rookie deal ends and replace them with another rookie level guy. Um, and the players say, okay, well, if you want to do that, the thing is that you've been underpaying those guys this entire time. So you need to pay them more if we're not going to get paid more later in life. And I think that's a reasonable argument. Of course, I would think that being as pro player as I am, uh, I'm not shy to uh, about admitting it, but um, yeah. So that's, that's going to be the big thing about these negotiations. And this is, this is where I've been happy to see guys like Max Scherzer who has gotten paid in his career, uh, not argue, not arguing for, you know, whatever silly benefits that they were trying to get before, but really arguing. And this, this is the standard. This is the messaging I've heard from players all around the league for years now is that the negotiations are about those guys on their rookie deals and about making sure that, okay, it's reasonable that you don't want to overpay guys who aren't producing at the level you want them to produce at after their rookie deals, you need to pay the guys in the rookie deals, something closer to what they're worth then. Um, and that's been the consistent messaging. And it's, it's, like I said, it's nice to see these guys like Max Scherzer, who has been got, who has been paid still sticking to that party line and saying, this is where we MLB needs to go, um, to make sure that the players are taken care of. Um, so I don't know what the end result is going to look like as far as, um, how will that work? Will that be extra arbitration years? Will it be an increase in rookie salaries? Will it be a reduction of uh, years in the, the rookie contract? Uh, it could be any of those things. It could be all of those things. Um, a, a lot of it depends on how much the players are, how long the players are willing to strike or sit in the lockout, whichever happens. Um, because that's, that's there. You ask what can, what do, Whenever you, you want to know, like, the play, this is what the players want, right? So then what, what do the players have in terms of power to get that? And the only thing they have right now, uh, they have salary cap and they have the actual on-field product. That's pretty much all they've got. And they don't seem interested in doing a salary cap thing. And if I was MLB, I wouldn't be fighting that hard for it anyways, because the luxury tax threshold has proven to be pretty effective all on its own. Um, so that means the players, all they've got is, is the actual on-field product, which means that their, their only strength is in not playing games until MLB 
you know, kind of says we're losing too much money. It makes more sense to give them something that they'll accept or what they want or, you know, some whatever, uh, than to keep not having games. So to that, to that end, if the players, I kind of think if the players are going to get what they want out of the CBA, we might lose games. Um, when I put it that way and think about it that way, but that doesn't mean we will lose games. It just means that the players may not get what they want. Um, if they cave first, because again, the owner, both sides lose money when the, when the games aren't being played, the owners lose money and the players lose money and the owners can more easily withstand losing the money. Uh, they have other side gigs, the real estate, whatever jobs they had that made them billionaires before. And they have billionaire nest eggs to sit on. Um, whereas the players only have, and again, Max Scherzer's not hurting. Max Scherzer's not hurting, but Whit Merrifield is is not doing too great. And even worse than him is uh, uh, a Bobby Witt, well, not a Bobby Witt Jr., but, uh, oh gosh, like a Nicky Lopez who didn't get a huge signing de- signing bonus, who doesn't have a ton of major league experience, who is getting paid the major league minimum. Um, these guys, these are the guys that are being hurt. And so that's that it's kind of where, where's that ground going to be? Will they give in before the owners do? Yeah, it'll, it'll certainly be interesting to watch. And I think it's, you know, it's going to be the only headline until we, I mean, earlier th- this week they put out, or maybe it was last week, they put out a report. There weren't even plans on negotiating. So the two sides aren't even talking to each other. So that's going to be the news until something happens because they can't negotiate with free agents. They can't work out trades. MLB is just stuck on pause until they start negotiating again. So unfortunately that is a story of the off season, unless they decide to fire Harold Reynolds from MLB network too. Um, <laughs> outside of that, I really, I really don't. He hasn't said anything against Rob Banford. Has he? I don't know. I, I mean, apparently as long as you don't say anything bad about Robbie, you're fine. Screw Rob Manfred. About that, I mean, Robbie. You're uh, you don't work for for MLB, so I think you're okay. But I sure don't. Thanks for the job, Vox. Just by the way. <laughs> All right, uh, Jeremy. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up this evening? Um, not really. Just, just get. Just you got to start somewhere. You got to start with some negotiations and. The longer we go without negotiations, the more irritated I get. Even if the negotiations aren't going anywhere, you have to at least talk. I agree. I think there has to be, like, just to show the fans good faith. Um, and I don't think this is a both sides issue. I think one side is willing to talk, and, and, and based on the reports, one side is not. And, and it takes both sides to talk, but that just means if one side isn't willing to talk, it doesn't matter what the other side wants. My last thought for the night is uh, go Texans, the fighting (laughs) Davis mills. I'll be rooting for you on Sunday. So go kick some butt in the name of Patrick Mahomes. We appreciate it. If it, if it makes you feel better, it would would not be the weirdest outcome of an NFL game this year. No, not not even close. So, Let's go fighting Davis Mills, 10-point home underdog. Let's, uh, let's go win a football game. All right, we appreciate you all for listening. We'll be back next week with a very special guest, Joel Goldberg of Valley Sports Kansas City is going to join us next week. Talk about Will he be the, bringing um, any of his laundry? 
I don't know. I, I would, I don't know. Um, it's a fair question, I guess. Well, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Like I said, Joel Goldberg is going to join us. We'll talk about the media side of baseball for a little bit, maybe a little on Wisconsin if he, if he decides to dive in there, but, uh, we will see you guys soon. Thanks for listening and we will, uh, do it again.